Good morning, Eugene. Good morning, Sharice. How's it going? Good. New, we're turning over a new page for uh, making it up. Yeah, we're in the same room. We are, we can see each other. So that's new. I wouldn't say it was difficult in the past to record, but we kind of got to the point where Elphick, our audio engineer, was, he was just not happy with the quality of the audio. Yeah. We've moved away from these. We were using these lightning cable lav mics that I think generally they're quite, they're quite good. They were convenient, right? You just plug it into an app on your phone. Yeah. We did have some issues with sometimes they wouldn't record or there'd be a lot of static. But yeah. And then I always have to remember to put it on airplane mode. Anyway, it was just like not an ideal setup. Yeah. It was, there was too many variables to have to account for. Mm-hmm. So here we are, same room. Um, if anyone's curious, we're running two XLR mics, two Sennheiser MD46s out of a Zoom H5. That probably means absolutely nothing to probably 90% of the people. Even including us, it me, doesn't, including even us, it doesn't really matter. But I, I really hope that it'll change the quality of the audio. And on top of that, we've made a further concession and cut the AC. We might need an AC break. I think we're going to have to because Hong Kong right now is like 32 to 36 degrees Celsius. What's that in Fahrenheit? No idea. It's really hot. Uh, 100. I don't think it's 100. 10? No. No, that's, that's All right, good. we're checking. All right, check real quick. Okay. 32. Yeah. 32 is 90. Yeah, it's still pretty hot. It's humid though. Yeah. So, um, so what's exciting, I guess a win, is that there's been some update to a topic that appeared on Making It Up 7. Mm-hmm which pertained to ASAP Bari and his involvement with Nike. It took a while, but it finally came. Nike issued a private statement. I say it's private because it was only an email mm-hmm. to GQ saying they're no longer working with ASAP Bari. There was different camps that were like, oh, Nike's just waiting for it to blow over so they don't have to talk about it. And, you know, there's probably so many things going on behind the doors that we don't know. Yeah. Although I still think that, and this is probably to beat a dead horse, just acknowledge <laughs> it. You know, and at least buy yourself some time and at least let people know that it's important to you rather than waiting, you know, several weeks for things to actually materialize into something semi-official. Yeah. Like this is probably not going to be on Nike's media site, which showcases all the new developments and all the news stories. I mean, generally that's all positive brand-based stuff. Oh, new hires, um, earnings calls, uh, new product, etc. So, I mean- at least it came. I'm, I'm going to count lining. it as a win. It is what it is. It's We said in seven that any statement was better than nothing. And yeah. this falls within that category. Yeah. So that's always good to hear. I know that you came in today. You were, your head was kind of held a little bit lower than usual. Yeah. So I heard you uh, failed your driving test, Charisse. Yep. Tell me um, about, tell me about the emotions you're going through right now. There is nothing so uniquely bad as I don't even know how to explain the combination of frustration and anger and sadness. Uh, Maybe you should preface preface that passing the driving test in Hong Kong is actually quite difficult. Yeah, but I feel like, how how can I explain this in a way where people won't think I'm just being a wuss? Um, So you're, you're only allowed to make two serious mistakes on your road test. And what's serious? What's an example of a serious infraction? A serious infraction is if, man, this, this got me on my first test. 
if you lean too close to another car, like let's say you're, you need to leave room for a car to come in the opposite lane and you stop to give them space, but you stop too close to the parked car, that's it. At this point, I know how to drive well enough. I've already been able to distinguish driving to pass this test and what actual driving is like. Yeah. Which is nothing like the test. I'm sure you see it all the time, people that are driving and had they taken a test or they're definitely not adhering to the road rules. Yeah, all the time. Now now I'm hyper aware. Especially in this part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to introduce your topic for the day? Yeah. So let's get started. My topic is WeTransfer looks to continue audio innovation by creating a $10,000 grant for ex-SoundCloud employees. To give you guys a bit of background, over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of media coverage about SoundCloud. Uh, They laid off 173 employees um, within the last few weeks. And a lot of people were starting to panic because SoundCloud is obviously a very important source of new music and even to an extent, music innovation. After the fact, people were lamenting, what's going to happen to these people? Are they going to be able to find jobs? I believe there's like a Google document going around that listed every single person that got let go and how to contact them and potentially offer them a job. So after all the dust had settled, WeTransfer, which is a file transfer service, stepped in and offered what I initially thought was just $10,000 free dollars. And I say free with <laughs> asterisks because I thought it was really, hey, you know what? Take this $10,000 right. as a gift. But like you thought they were sending out a hundred, no, a million, $730,000. Yeah, basically. Just sent writing checks. Yeah, because that's kind of what the Medium article suggests. And I think it was not misleading, but it did sort of seem as though there wasn't really a mention of the grant in yeah. the Medium article that was yeah. mentioned. And this article was written by Daniel Bradfield, the president of WeTransfer. Um, And his whole goal was to encourage ex-SoundCloud employees to continue their efforts to innovate in music and sound. Mm -hmm. One thing about WeTransfer is they're always very generous towards the arts and they've supported a lot of projects. In recent times, they funded the likes of Central St. Martins, which is a very famous design school out of London. I think it was a documentary by FKA Twigs. Another thing too is they serve upwards of 5 billion impressions every year and Mm -hmm. they dedicate 30% of that inventory, as they call it, towards advertising the arts. So while they're not necessarily giving up money, they're allocating a chunk of this towards the arts, which to me, if you really think about it, like 5 billion impressions is a ton. And the reality of it is that I don't think you'd be able to find advertisers for those 5 billion impressions anyways. So it's not like you're really losing money, but it is a nice gesture. Yes. And I can comment on this is something I noticed about WeTransfer back when it was coming out because part of those ad impressions are the backgrounds when you do a transfer. Correct. And so so part of the 30% that they give away is to artists and illustrators to just showcase their work, a place for unknown artists to have more people see their stuff. With that Medium post, there was a link to download a document. And in that document, they outlined all the criteria for you to be successfully considered for this grant. So yep. some of the things, like I'm not going to go over every single line item, but it was it was along the lines of, it must be digital music related. It cannot be a copy of an existing service, app, whatever it may be. It must be legal. So obviously nothing illegal. Um, they weren't going to take any equity. Yeah. And lastly, it was 10,000 US dollars after taxes. So if you happen to live in a place that taxes you quite heavily, you could rest assured that you would receive the full 10,000 US dollars. 
Mm-hmm. After, after thinking about this, I actually thought originally it was a free $10,000 gift, which changes a little bit my perspective. Okay. Because there's now strings attached to it where you actually need to commit to applying yourself and making sure you have a relatively thought out idea, right? As opposed right. to like, hey, here's $10,000 and hopefully out of the goodness of your heart, you go and delay entering the workforce and try to innovate on something. Sort of along the lines of universal basic income. Right. For those who aren't familiar with universal basic income, it's this it's this concept where you're going out in the world and you're offering enough money for people to live off to cover basic needs so that they hopefully pursue passions. And the the outcome of that is net positive for all of society. You know, people are dedicated to doing the right things, the things that they feel add the most value. I mean, there's a lot of debate. You have a lot of conservatives versus liberals who are going to debate this. And that's probably not the place for this right now. But I think it's a really interesting concept. And it's something that's picked up a lot of steam in the face of automation, because what are you going to do with all these people that soon will have potentially no job because they're being made redundant through automation? I think successfully acquiring a grant is great on the basis that starting things, a lot of it comes down to risk mitigation, right? Like, are you willing to step out and take a risk? And $10,000 that could be in many ways, that's like for a pretty, you know, above average salary and, you know, above average salary, that's probably two months pay. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing, I would guess. there's nothing stopping you from necessarily going out and finding other revenue streams, right? Yeah. To subsist. So this is just like, hey, I'm being supported to do something on the side. Yeah. We transfers target and they sort of mentioned this in the PDF document too. Their target audience out of those 173 laid off employees is not every single one of them because some of them have found work already and I'm sure they're a percentage that are interested in other companies. I think it's for employees who have a idea already in the back of their head and this will give them the freedom to flesh that out. It's not like, a SoundCloud employee is going to, a former SoundCloud employee is going to see this and be like, oh, let me brainstorm something like right now. I mean, that might happen, but I think chances are it's for people who might have been at SoundCloud and tried to do something, had always had an idea of something that was like it, but not quite. Yeah. And, and that's one thing is that there's a lot of ideas get thrown around in a company setting, but often if you're not in a position to weed out what is relevant, what's not, yeah. and you have, you know, Everyone will have a perspective. Your manager might have a perspective on your idea. Yeah. But, you know, it's another thing when you're your own boss and you can pull the strings. And I think that is what this opportunity allows. Speaking about having ideas that are within a company setting, maybe even these employees had ideas at SoundCloud that were great, but just didn't exactly align with the SoundCloud vision. So a manager could be totally for it, but realize, you know, this is not the right use of our resources. The deadline actually is at the end of August. So it's very possible that they've already been fielding submissions for the last week. I'm really curious to see if something comes out of it. And I wonder if WeTransfer is going to announce the grants that they've given out. Yeah, I think that you'll have to look back in a few years and see, hey, this was kickstarted by WeTransfer's involvement. Um, I am curious to, to see if, and this is me not necessarily having like a, a negative outlook on the people let go, but without really knowing the people that were let go were probably done so under certain conditions, certain reasons. Were those people the best to go and start something or were they were the reasons, were the reasons why they were not part of the continuation of SoundCloud? And does that factor in? 
you're kind of removing the fat, right? Huh. I mean, I, we, don't, we don't know. We don't know why SoundCloud made the cuts that they did. I'm sure there was plenty of great people that they just didn't yeah. have the resources for. But I also but, wonder if you would keep around, like let's say you were downsizing. This is interesting because we're actually like moving a little bit off WeTransfer. But if you were downsizing, would you keep the people who are the most company aligned? What I'm getting at here is the idea that I have maybe some of the people that were cut were the ones that already had desires to be someplace else or had plans of starting something on their own. Yeah. It could be that they kept people, oh God, this sounds so terrible. So, like kept people that were less creative ones. Yeah, I don't know. To that point, I did do a little research and this, take this with a grain of salt because these are all user submitted, but I went to, I just did a quick search on- Glassdoor? Glassdoor to see what $10,000 really gets you in regards to a salary at SoundCloud. Okay. Right. So depending on your role, um, I'm looking right now and, you know, a senior software engineer is kind of at the upper echelon at 141,000 US dollars a year. Their lower end is 129. But I think overall, if you look at it like this, depending on the person, $10,000 isn't necessarily all that much money. Mm. So it makes me wonder if, if $10,000 is all you really needed, is that really going to push someone over the edge to get this going? If it was $50,000, $100,000, it's it's a much more significant amount of money. And if you really needed $10,000 to get this idea going, which like I said, is not, and relative to some people's salaries, is not a lot of money. Yeah. Is that actually enough incentive for you to do it? Because if, if you really wanted to be um, a quote unquote entrepreneur, which takes, you know, a lot of other soft skills as well as hard skills, right? Grit, determination, et cetera. Would you have done it already? So that's what I was thinking in my mind. I'm like, honestly, $10,000 is for some of these guys, that's like, let's say, I mean, after taxes and whatnot, $10,000 is probably more than what they're making a month, but one month's salary, right? If you yeah. really want it, would you have made the concessions? Oh, maybe I'm going to like save money for this project I really want to do. Well, yeah. And also the reality is the kind of products that they want to give grants for are things that take more than one month to develop like more than one or two months. So what WeTransfer is saying is that we can give you the money to jumpstart a thing, but out of the gate, you have to find your own investors. Like if you wanted to continue the project, you would immediately be looking for more funding. Or you would just really get to a proof of concept, which a very yeah. simple proof of concept. And, and, but there might not be any way to pick that back up. Like let's say you yeah. were, you have financial obligations and the 10K can give you one free month to dedicate time. But then if, if nothing comes of it in that month, it just goes back, you know, back yeah. on the shelf. Yeah. So uh, I actually, my final conclusion is that I actually don't think that it's moving the needle sufficiently. Whoa. That's my thing. I think that if, if you're really, if you're really passionate about an idea, I don't think $10,000 would necessarily um, get you to where you need to be. So I guess I need to preface that too, is because I'm looking at the different job descriptions. So if you're obviously a technical founder, your life is a lot easier. $10,000 goes further, mm. right? And But on top of that, it's like, if you really want to do an idea, I think you would have done it or you would have tried to start it in some capacity before. On the other side, if you're on the lower end, let's say you're a marketing manager, right? That $10,000 gets you a lot less yeah. Because you're going to have to pay for development costs, whatever. Yeah. And those are expensive. Design, development costs, whatever it may be. I don't see anything wrong with it. 
I actually really applaud WeTransfer for doing this because no one said they had to do it. Right. No. We both agree on that. We have to agree on that. But will it actually move the needle? I mean, $10,000, if that's what you really needed to get something going, I don't even know if if that's really sufficient. I have two questions. I'll go with the first one. WeTransfer doesn't say how many grants they're willing to give out, right? Yeah. Hypothetically, you know, by the tones of the PDF they sent and the Medium article, it sounds like if they got 173 valid proposals, they would give out $1.7 million. Would it have been more productive to you, in your opinion, to move the needle, as you say, if they were like, we're going to give out five 50K grants? 100%. I think that that also forces people to push forward with a better, more considered idea. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I can see that. I can see your point. Like 50, 50 grand for some of those people, that's like half a year's salary. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. six months of your life hypothetically taken care of. Yeah. You mean if you stretch it a bit, it could yeah. work. Yeah. And you know, I didn't see it that way because I thought when I read about this news item, it sounds so nice, you know? Because like we said, it's WeTransfer doesn't have to do this. They're not even related to SoundCloud in some kind of explicit way. And they're willing to give 10K to every laid off employee. So that sounds really good. But when you mention like effectiveness, the like 550K is more effective. Yeah. Or like, let's say, like you said, there's um, $1.7 million on the table, hypothetically, right? What happens if that was like six $250,000 grants? And that could also include teams, you know? Like right now they have a stipulation where you can create a team, but a team still still will only garner one $10,000 grant. Yeah. So something to consider. I mean, the reason why I have this perspective is because maybe we have a different perspective based on like me being a quote unquote startup founder. Right. Well, I wanted to, my second question that I've been waiting to ask you is what you think you could do with Macon if someone gave you 10K. I'm not saying you have to submit a grant. I'm just saying like someone gives you 10K now. Does that free you up for the next month? What does it, does it affect your operations? uh, I'm I'm very open about discussing this, but the one thing Macon could really improve upon is marketing. If you gave me 10K, 100K, a million dollars, like, I couldn't necessarily know where to allocate that from a marketing perspective to guarantee certain results. I mean, I'm we're working on it, but I think that's the one thing like at this point in time, yeah, I'm sure there'd be like there'd be things that we could invest in, but I would say that they those are things that are more foundational more than they're like direct. Mm. So you would use that extra cushion to supplement things that you have a need for, but not to explore something new. Like it's not enough for you to add on something to what Macon does Uh, right now. No, I think it'd be exploring on a marketing perspective, but it wouldn't be us personally testing. I think it would probably be working with someone who fully understands how to optimize for digital marketing. Mm. Our previous experiences, I don't think we really had a good grasp of marketing because our product, which was Hypebeast, like, you didn't really need to change or tweak too many things and it would still grow hand over fist every month. Yeah. Which was kind of just yeah. a different point in time, right? We were spoiled. Yeah. So I, I definitely welcome the challenge, but at the same time, it's, I think we're still trying to figure out and we're, we're taking the steps to do it. We're just mm. not there yet where I would feel like, hey, you know what? If I put in, you know, 10K here, I will see, you know, even 12 and a half K back. Even oh, something like that. I have a better question. Five years ago, 
while you were at Hypebeast, before you had designs on leaving, I imagine, someone offered you 10K if you submitted a grant. Would that be enough to encourage you to leave? Mm, you know, that's really specific because it needs, because it requires an idea that I don't, like, I think that if I had an idea, but mm. I, you know, mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I, I think it's really dependent on the idea. I mean, I was there for eight and a half years, which suggests that there was nothing enticing enough for me to leave. Right. Like I was very, I was very, very compelled and mm. passionate about the brand and the mm. company. Right. So I don't think that that would have, that would have made a difference. I think it would have, it would have been enough for me. Yeah. But we were obviously at different points in our careers. Yeah, exactly. But if before I'd left Hypebeast and started freelancing and someone came to me, I would definitely have applied and it would have like sped me out the door. So yeah. Maybe that's the target as well. Maybe there are some younger laid off SoundCloud employees. I mean, I want them to prove me wrong, don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. I'm not trying to be a hater. It was interesting because I I don't know if you scrolled to the end of this PDF, but the last FAQ question from WeTransfer is, what do you think people can realistically do with $10,000? And WeTransfer says, $10,000 gave us the confidence we needed to start WeTransfer. It's enough for a great design outline from a small agency. It's an iOS MVP from a young developer. It won't be a business, but it's enough to get something off the ground. So, I mean, it's almost a challenge the way they say it. Like, this was enough for us and where we are now looking at it. Like, we're a success. Yeah. See how it goes. So let me tell you what caught my eye Um, this past week. We shared this in the briefing as well. The New York Times Game of Thrones newsletter proves that digital media isn't just about innovation. And this is going to be a 100% spoiler-free discussion of a Game of Thrones newsletter. So no worries. Nobody has to skip this portion. The reason being that neither Eugene nor I have ever watched Game of Thrones. Uh, I've watched a few episodes. Oh, have you really? I've, I'm really bad for keeping up with things beyond like a few seasons. Like I'm not going to be that guy that's going to be on season 15 or something. I honestly have not watched a single episode and I can maybe name three key characters. But anyway, it's not about how little we know about Game of Thrones, right? So to tell you more about um, this news item, Digiday published um, an article about this newsletter having an open rate exceeding 100% and having over 60,000 subscribers within the first three weeks. And the newsletter is an extension of an existing New York Times vertical called Watching, which recommends good TV in order to cut through all of the Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Amazon Prime options. So Watching Watching was started last October as a new vertical and has actually been doing quite well. So New York Times figured, you know, let's expand on this. And a lot of their columnists, their contributors are already putting a bunch of effort into Game of Thrones coverage. So the newsletter just seemed to them the natural outlet. And I don't think they foresaw the amount of success it's had. So what's interesting to me is not that it's Game of Thrones specific, 
that this is another news item that shows how successful email can be. So Sharice, if I ask you between all the distribution platforms, email, social media, website, how do you rank a newsletter and how do you view the content in a newsletter differently than maybe some of the other mediums? I think the reason a newsletter works well is because it's drawing an audience that has already confirmed interest in your product, in what you're writing. Because they they subscribe through some method, probably through being on your website and then deciding that there was some part of it that they wanted to read more about, read a more focused thing about. And that's where the success is because everything else like social media, uh, websites, what was it? Did you give me another option? I gave you social media websites and newsletters. I okay. Mean, yeah, so those are the main comparing, big, comparing yeah. those three. So social media and websites, it's just publishers are putting everything out there, right? And they're trying to hit as broad of an audience as possible. And then when someone subscribes to a newsletter, they want a more focused item. For me personally, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters and I see it as one of the best curation tools. Okay. Like I find a lot of high quality content, even if it's links going outwards. Mm. Um, Can you give an example of a one or two newsletters well, that you will always open? I always open Neiman Lab, which is focused on sort of the f- present and future of media. Right? It's more of like a, I guess like a B2B type newsletter. It just talks about the media landscape, new developments, controversies, etc. And another one I open... Uh, quite frequently is, and I'm not even saying this because he's a member of Macon, but <gasps> Paul, Elfeline yeah. Lux. Like I just, I find that he has a very no holds barred, but not to say that he's abrasive. He just like, he has an opinion mm. and it's expressed in the newsletter, mm. right? Okay. Those are really important to me because I, I look to newsletters as a very direct relationship mm. because I've opted in and it's very focused on a topic, mm. right? Even our, our Macon briefing, like, that that top <laughs> that top intro paragraph sometimes i struggle to write it but i also want it to be from a tone of voice of us speaking to you not hey here's some news yeah. and it being faceless even though it's written from the perspective of Macon and not any individual yeah. i think that sort of human touch is really important to speak about either lean lux or neiman lab the structure of their newsletters, is it just links or is it like a paragraph editorializing an item and then linking out or what is the general flow? Generally for Neiman Lab, it's more focused on links that go out. Some are on their own website. Some are from other publications, et cetera. For Lean Lux, it's also a combination of both. With Lean Lux, there's, there's a greater approach towards you know providing Paul's two cents into something okay. or a writer's two cents. And that to me is what everyone's sort of seeking right now because to develop an idea, to develop um, a unique thought takes time and effort and not all media publications are willing to do that, right? They're just rehashing stuff. They're regurgitating things. Um, So I think that's why you naturally find it quite easy to divide what is aggregated and what is actual opinion and or editorial. Yeah. So that's also something that was interesting to me about the... New York Times GOT email because there's a sample you can see before you even subscribe. And it's a long read. It's like a 13 minute read of edited content intentionally written for the newsletter. Not even 
recycled from watching from the column, but written specifically with this email in mind. And I think that's that is something newer in newsletters. I not new as in like this year, but it's been a shift. It's not the norm. Yeah. Which I think maybe that's what contributes to the open rate that exceeds a hundred percent. Maybe you can explain a little bit what that okay, metric, yes. because I think it's a little bit misleading. Okay. So a, the way a newsletter can exceed an open rate of a hundred percent is if some people open it more than one time or even from multiple, multiple machines. Like let's say you open it on your iPhone and then open it again on your MacBook, that'll be two hits. And then if you forward it to someone who's not a subscriber and they open it and then they continue forwarding it, it will add up. So that's how you get over 100, which is Still unheard amazing. of. Still no, amazing. totally unheard of. Okay. Like I know that there is a little... Newsletter metrics are terrible. I think we've mentioned before how podcast metrics are terrible. Same thing for I think, emails. I think podcasts are worse though. I'll, I'll take it. But yeah. because emails have been improving, yeah. you know? Uh, make and uses MailChimp and it it does the job. I'm, there are some things I wish there was more of, but- You, you had know. to slide that in in hopes of getting a sponsorship, didn't you? I do. I mean, I'm happy to plug them. Oh, I I have a good experience doing it. Anyway, yeah. on topic. Yeah, my thing is, do you believe that the reason why it exceeds 100% is because it's so long? Like you couldn't read it in one sitting and nor oh. does an email experience- provide no. one where you would read it all in one go. Or maybe people in general struggle to read or to block off 13 minutes of reading time. Okay, but like they have 60K subscribers. If you do the math, even if half of them- I'm not, I'm, I still think it's an amazing metric. Yeah. But I think you would need to see how the stat looks in six months time. I think what's most interesting hypothetically is not whether people are opening it more than one time, but whether how much they are forwarding it to their mm -hmm. friends. And how many other people are being reached by this newsletter that wasn't originally subscribed? Like that's very effective. And that's not like even what they previously imagined. Can I go back to why newsletter metrics aren't perfect? Yes. Your phone will count, some phones will count an email as opened even though you didn't actually open it. Oh, really? Yeah. Can you give an example of that? So I don't know which operating system is. I actually suspect it's like the iPhone and mail app. Like it's a certain app, it's a certain OS. But once it reaches your inbox, it will count as opened instead of when you actually click on the email and open it. So it's just- How do, how do you know that? Or you just like, you monitor metrics? Um, I was reading about- Oh, you read about Because it? we do the briefing. Yeah. And then I was reading about newsletter metrics, which just sounds so dorky, but um, yeah, it's not perfect. I don't know what the error, like the margin of error is, but there's some. Well, one thing that I wanted to point out and I mentioned it when I highlighted this was that the beauty of newsletters being opt-in, being so direct is that they're immune to algorithms. Yeah. So it goes straight into your inbox. I mean, some people have Google inbox. I think it's Google inbox that filters stuff for you. But generally, if you want to see it, you will see it. Yeah. Now, if you have, you're one of those people that have 10,000 unreads, that's another story. But <laughs> in general, but in general, that's one of the beauties of newsletters. Like I look at every single one of my newsletters. Um, so one thing I really appreciated in the article that covered this was that Elizabeth Goodridge, who is the email newsletter editor for the New York Times, she talks about how they don't want to abuse the trust that their newsletter subscribers have in them. 
So the thing about the show is that apparently there are only another five weeks of episodes and then it's going to go on a year of hiatus. hiatus. They don't have plans to regularly send out anything because there's no need. And I think that's really responsible as a publication that even though you have this vast audience by just randomly sending them things, you would be, like she says, abusing their trust. I think that also goes in tandem with my previous point is that when it comes to social media, it's such a different experience where you need to be consistent. Mm. Like you're not always in front of people. Mm. And I think this is like an aside, like in the last month, we've been very deliberate and a lot more organized in ensuring that we share content on social media. And I think we've we've definitely seen positive results because of that. You know, in the past, it wasn't with that we weren't sharing stuff. It just, we weren't doing it as consistently. Okay. Right. And I think that's a big thing. Whereas I've definitely gotten a lot of, feedback from people about the briefing more than anything. The briefing and um, this podcast, making it up. Yeah. Right? Like people have been very quick to, you know, just shoot me a quick message on the side. And I think it's because the delivery mechanisms are so different for those. Like your podcast um, app will directly push a new episode to you. And it's not very, and it's not different from a newsletter that goes into your inbox, right? Your podcast app is your inbox. What's interesting is also the value we as readers give to following someone on following a brand on Instagram or Facebook vs. putting our email into a newsletter subscription box vs. subscribing to an app on our podcast app. Like the first two things I mentioned are much easier to do. Yeah. Like we just don't value that as highly. But giving someone your email, like that's a big deal. Yeah, even though it's not, it is, and especially all the steps required, right? Like I can, within one click, I could be following you. Mm -hmm. But on email, I mean, podcasts, I have to search potentially. I have to add. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's definitely a great point. Yeah. All right, Charisse, we need to turn the AC back on. Yeah, let's close things off for the day. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon and its membership opportunities, head over to macon.com where you'll experience more stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can also subscribe to us through wherever you listen to podcasts and iTunes. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. <laughs>